here's what happened is a proud member of the Wilo podcast community. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of So Here's What Happened. As usual, I am your host, Nisha, and I am joined by... Carolyn. Hey. Hey. We are back after a brief hiatus because the end of the year has been busy, but we are back in time to deliver y'all one last episode for the year, um, which I'm excited to talk about a a bunch of things, but we're going to dive into our books first before we get too too far into all of our other things. Um, This month... I am choosing to tell y'all about The Walking Cat. I don't know why I'm holding it up because Carolyn's the only one who can see me. <laughs> Anyways, yes, yeah, so it's called, um, it's a manga. It is called The Walking Cat. It, the story and art is by Tomokita Oka. And I love this so much. People who like The Walking Dead, I think y'all will also enjoy this. But basically, I'll read the synopsis. Look at what the tra- cat dragged in of course. Um, Zombies roam the earth and civilizations as we know it is dead. When Jin, a young man trying to survive the chaos, rescues a cat from certain death, the unlikely duo sets off on a quest to find a mysterious island where Jin's wife may be alive. Witness the zombie apocalypse through the eyes of a fearless feline whose curiosity may kill him yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is this has been a very refreshing read one that I did not know that I needed um just because like like most people I feel like I've been burnt out either on entertainment or just life and work so I I found this by chance when I was in a bookstore and I was just like the walking cat okay I'll pick it up sure why not and I did not expect to like enjoy this so much especially because like maybe it's just the first time you see you like for most people who enjoy sci-fi and specifically zombie apocalypse apocalypse genre, how many people can say they've seen it told to the story of a cat's eyes? I know I can't, <laughs> but it's not like you're in the perspective of the cat. It's just that like you, this man, Gene, um, saves this cat on a whim and they basically become a duo and it's like you know we've seen the story we or we've seen the trope of a man and his dog going through the apocalypse surviving together and you know just remove the dog and put a cat and yeah the cat is an interesting companion because you know cats are fickle they don't necessarily answer a command if you like need to if you need to run you can call the dog say hey toto follow me a cat a cat would be like mm, you know they might be feel like following you in like five minutes right it's the fact that like it's just and it's just very wholesome like the fact that I'm saying a zombie apocalypse story is wholesome but it is wholesome the moments where in Jean and Yuki the cat's the cat's name um they like the cat is actually very loyal because like I would assume the same thing like if I was going to ask if I was going to have to have an animal companion in the zombie apocalypse I was not going to pick a cat I too would pick a dog a dog is loyal they're gonna stay by me but you know what this cat surprises you it's very loyal he'd be on his back (laughs) watching his six and he goes ahead and kills zombies too like it's not like a this is very much a grounded series so it's not like a you know a supernatural anime like powered cat it's actually just a regular cat and a regular man in a zombie apocalypse trying to find his wife how does the the cat stay on his back while he's fighting though does he have like strapped in like a little carrier he had like a backpack. So I'll, I'll, I'll give like a little teaser from like the first chapter. So basically he finds the cat and the cat leads him to a house. And the man is like, like whose house is this? And if you see a woman on the bed and apparently it's the cat's former owner because the cat was astray and it would go there for food. And then the guy is confronted by the husband and he's like, well, thanks for bringing Yuki back. 
and and he gave the dude food and he was about to leave well the cat sneaks into the backpack and just uh. like you see his little head peeking out and dude thinks the cat's gone and then later on he's in a fight with a zombie and the cat like jumps out the bag and he like scratches the zombie eye, zombie's eye and like yeah. stops it from killing him or like you know he, he's a good cat they make a good team okay say the story from the cat's point of view does it do we get a person uh, idea of what's running through the cat's head because there was something that i watched recently that was like that where you got you got the um it was like the animals they weren't like anamorphic or anything they weren't talking but like the they would be like subtitles at the bottom of the screen telling you what the animals were thinking i'm trying to remember what it was and i don't remember but was it is it like it's this is the book like that like it tells you what the cat is thinking like why did he get into the bag it doesn't it doesn't tell you like any thought bubbles or like it doesn't like talk for the cat or anything like that um it does however like there's just like panelists like panels with like no words right yeah yeah but like you look at the cat's expressions and it tells you a lot like in this one the cat finds a female cat right mm. and he's like ooh a female i'm gonna make my move <laughs> This big old chunky cat comes out and he and they stare each other down and you like you know what's happening. <laughs> so you have moments like that or like there was a in the beginning the cat the way the man and the cat um cross paths is because the yeah. cat is chasing food, it finds a rat, a zombie snatches the rat up and eats uh, it. The cat's like really? so like, the yeah, exactly, really. So like the mangaka Kitaoka, they do a great job of like using expressions, especially like on the animal's face to tell you what the cat is thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, um, I don't know, I like it. I mean, for me, someone who's like, I tell folks I am not a cat person. I do think it's like a, just a very cute concept for a story. Yeah, no, that's different. I'm, I'm probably going to remember that thing at the randomest time, like what it is I was watching where you got the thoughts for the animals and it's going to bug me until I figure it out. Mm -hmm. but yeah it was like i thought it was like really cute when you got like these little subtitles for the own for the animals themselves like this is what the animal is thinking which is yeah. so funny oh and there is one more thing so like the cat so the the and there's different chapters where you'll see the cat had other interactions with other humans before the main guy in the series so like you get a lot of different stories like bite-sized stories from because the cat has all these memories from previous people and mm -hmm. I am not done with it yet, but I'm still very anxious because I feel like, is the man going to die? <laughs> and is and then will he just become a memory for the cat? Oh, that's cool. I mean, it could be cool, but I also feel like it's going to be sad if they keep on making me think that they're going to be best friends and make it until the end. Because <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse, who really survives? Have hope. I would like to have hope. I mean, okay, I'm not going to get into The Walking Dead because I'm behind, but never mm -hmm. mind um but yeah no that's my book okay so my book is called iron widow by sharon j Zhao, and i love this book this book is so good um basically it's like if you take a a historical chinese epic and combine it with pacific rim and uh, with a little bit tossing with a little bit of neon genesis um set in ancient china but with futuristic technology and i love this book so the story is about um is about Wu Jietian, who is, uh, she's 16 years old, and she's an, um, she's inspired and based off of the first and only female emperor that China has ever had, and, oh, sorry, she's not 16, she's 18, and I just love this, but it's about this, it's basically, it's about this 18-year-old Wu Jietian, and she is selected to become what they called, um, 
they're they're like basically like sacrifices for these these soldiers who fight in these giant mechs. And the reason they're sacrifices is that the the soldiers who are who pilot the mechs they use the they use women to to for their energy and for like their their mental power because it's kind of like you know for like uh, Pacific Rim it's all about you know like you have to be able to to have like a mind meld right you know you have to what's what's I, why am I suddenly blanking on this and I have all of these words in my head and you know they have to bond they have to have a, a mental bond at rift right that's the that's the term in that's the term they use in um pacific rim but it's not the exact same term used in um iron widow but it's the same concept and these guys they use all of these girls powers unless the girl is like super super strong they end up killing them and wuji tian she's chosen to become a concubine for this for the for their head soldier and she joins it. She actually signed up for it because she was doing it out of revenge. She wanted revenge for her sister who died. And I just love this book. I read this book in an entire day. It's amazing. It has like fantastic. I think she, I think, I think um, Sharon Jajal, she does such a great job, like helping the readers to visualize the action. And the mechs, the mechs are, the, are based off of um, Chinese mythological creatures. So you have like the nine-tailed fox, the moon rabbit. And you know, in Shang Chi, you know, there's this little, this little animal with wings mm-hmm. and like and six legs. So there's one of those, and then there's like a firebird, and like there's it's like a, it's like amazing imagery that I, I got from reading the books. And then of course there's a truffle, which I I love that that happened. And so it's a truffle between Wu Jietian and these two guys. One is who also is a mech pilot, and he is. Ishimin and I love Ishimin like I love this character like he broke my heart but I'm just like you are a hero I love you Ishitian and then there's another um, Ishimin sorry and then there's another and then there's another character um Gao Yiji and he's so he's such a sweetie but he's also super smart and he's also badass like all these characters are badass and I I love this book I it, it to me it's like one of my favorite books I think I've read in a really really long time and it's about it's about femininity. It's also about trusting people, about learning to trust people. And it's I think it's about capitalism. And there's a lot of like different. There's a there's actually a really good theme, and a what I would call social commentary. But I don't want to say what it is because the way how she reveals what the main underlying premise of this whole story is is so brilliant. Because I was thinking it from like I would say halfway through. I'm like, what if this is what this book is about? And then when I got to the end, I'm like, yes. And it was so good. She built the story so, so good. And I love the cover. So the cover is actually, one of the reasons I love the cover is that it tells you a lot about the characters and it also, it helps you to visualize what's going on in the stories, especially like with regards to the Firebird, which is the mech. And it's, I think it's, I think it's a really good, um, it's it's a, I don't even, I wouldn't even call it a YA novel, like a youth um, novel. I think it's just like a really fun book for the adults would would enjoy it's like uh it's YA fantasy for adults basically and is it's, it's it's just like it's like great it's like really well written it's funny as hell there's some scenes <laughs> that had me laughing out loud she I think Wujitian is so dramatic like she is like a a Chinese drama character she is like ridiculously over dramatic she is extra in the best way and then the two male characters, um, Ishimin 
and he is uh he's a darling but it also I think another thing that I'm not sure a lot of people I'm not sure if a lot of people um, mentioned it but for me another th- important aspect of it is um how she discusses disability because mm-hmm. Bougie Tian, she becomes disabled because since this book is set in ancient China this is at the time where you had foot binding so you know in um in Chinese history like uh, there was a point at, of, at for hundreds of years where young girls feet were broken literally broken in half and bound up into what they call the lotus flower and that and like the book goes into like very deep descriptions about what that process is like and like how it can have um mentally emotional and physical trauma for the for the young girls and then for the women and how that actually how a lot of the customs affected the relationships between mothers and daughters and sisters and even their relationship to the men around them and she does anything um Sharon Jajal she does a really good job of making the book entertaining but also telling you about how women were treated in society back then and then you can also take it as a modern aspect of how women do things to their body like with um, plastic surgery and like there's nothing wrong with plastic surgery but like how just some women are pressured or believe they have to have these kind of things to fit specific beauty standards. Yeah. But it also talks about the physical um, ramifications of that because Wu Jietian becomes, uh, d- becomes disabled because of that. Like she can't walk properly. And then eventually, I think another thing about it is like she becomes involved with the mechs, but because she now has access to this um, to this new age, this new age technology that which she didn't have in like her home, which is in the country, like in the rice fields, she is able, she's filled with so much anger about what happened to her sister. She's filled with so much anger about what's happening to girls at the expense of like propping up men, but she's also able to like gain um, benefits from it, which is like, she's able to have medical treatment. And then she's able to, and then she's for the first time has a wheelchair, which means that she doesn't have to walk, right? Which is like painful for her. So there's like this, she like, so the book does a really good job of showing like, how capitalism or how technological advancements can help society, but also hinder at the same time. So like, there's a lot of things in the book. I never recommend anyone to read it. As I said, it's extremely um, entertaining, but I think also really good lesson on like, just like basic Chinese mythology. It's not, it's not like a history book because it is fantasy, but mm-hmm. it teaches you about different like customs and then mythology about the creatures and like what their meaning was in, what their meaning is in Chinese mythology culture so this is a fun book nice no it sounds good I like books like that you know because I feel like we all could use a little help understanding cultural references or significances in their in series or films because like if people could like I mean I think it's fine when people it's like when using Shang-Chi as an example it's like so many people said like that's a nine-tailed fox from Pokemon I'm like that is not that that y'all should look a little deeper I mean like I get it because that's what they recognize it from but like you should also maybe dig a little deeper into understanding well what's the cultural significance of this of this mythological creature in this instead of just you know because like I get it like if you recognize a non-tail fox from like anime or pokemon most some people aren't going to dig that deep and they might just like I recognize that from anime like Naruto or from pokemon and like that's one thing yes but you might learn that it is an actual part of it's a part of an actual culture mm-hmm. and not just from an anime exactly <laughs> you have people who be like no y'all don't know what y'all talking about it's from anime i'm like it is not an anime reference it is is actually exactly <laughs> reference to their culture exactly but, like where do you think these animators got the idea for these creatures from mm, oh 
Connection. <laughs> right. but anywho. Yeah, but no, it's, it's true because like, then, like we talked about in the nine tail, but like, actually in um, East Asian mythology in particular, there's three forms of the nine tail. There's the right. Korean version, which is the kumiyo. There mm-hmm. is a Japanese version, which is called the kitsune. Mm-hmm. And for the Chinese, let me look up the correct name for it. Um, there, like each one, each country has their specific name for it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so in, for in Chinese, and actually, it's, it's not even really necessary called the nine tail fox. In Chinese mythology, it's called the fox spirit, which again mm-hmm. is slightly different to the Japanese and Korean iterations. And in Chinese, in Pinin, it's called a uh, And so, like you know, so as I said, in, um, Korean is the um, kumio, in Japanese is the kitsune, and in Chinese it's the juio. And each one is. So I want to make sure that because I've been reading the tones. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I think I think I got that correct because I'm looking at the tones. Um that's what paying paying up my two semesters studying um Mandarin and Pinin. <laughs> um <laughs> putting them together. Like each, each of them has their own like significance in the in their cultures. Um, and in Iron Widow, she does explain a little bit of like the significance of these uh, of these um, cr- creatures in Chinese mythology. Like each one represents something very specific, and um, and I think it's, she does it brilliantly in the fact that like she kind of also ties it in how it relates to like, male and female relationships. Like you know, like how for a, for a woman, a phoenix or the firebird represents something different than it would for a man. You know. So mm-hmm. I think she so I think um she does a really good job of doing that. And like yes, like fans of anime and even like Korean dramas, um, beauty writers, a lot of these things have real world um context, you know, and historical um and cultural significance. So they're not all just entertainment. So mm-hmm. like, you know, so just like people learn, read it for yourself. Like if you like we talked, we've talked before about um, Avatar um the last airbender, like how a lot of the characters are influenced by different Asian ethnic cultures because there's like the Inuit um tribes in are inspired the water um water tribe in Avatar. There's a Japanese, there's Chinese, there's Tibetan, you know, um Mongolian influences, South mm-hmm. Indian influences and like all of these things and they all have like specific significance. And also I think it also matters how they're iterated into these um anime and manga, whatever, because like you can have like I think disrespectful <laughs> um, renderings and you can have respectful renderings. So it's all about also the type of media that you're consuming to that can influence the way you you consume the media. Yep. Moral of the story. It does not hurt to dig a little deeper. I know, right? Be After true. right, but I like that. I might, I'm gonna add that to my list to check it out. It's so good. I read it in a day. I'm gonna read it again soon. Yay! You haven't steered me wrong yet. Um, <laughs> going moving on to TV, I'm going to talk about the one show that I have consistently actually walk, watched weekly for the last three months because everything else I barely watch because of school, but. I'm going to talk about Comey Can't Communicate, which if y'all have, this might sound familiar for some people because I talked about the manga mm-hmm. Comey Can't Communicate. And this fall, it finally got adapted into an anime, which very excited for when it was announced last year, or maybe it was like, I don't know, all the years have blended. But when it was announced, I did not know at the time it was going to be on Netflix. I did not know at the time it was going to be a weekly um series on netflix so if y'all are not familiar with this netflix is doing some anime tv shows where there is a weekly release and this is one of those 
Um, so yeah, it's, so Comey can't communicate. Actually, let me pull up the synopsis because why not? I, I review this weekly on But Why Though, if y'all want to check out the written reviews um, for it. And sorry, I'm going to have to like pause. But yes, so Comey Can't Communicate is a Japanese Netflix original anime directed by Ayumu Watanabe and animated by Studio OLM. The Slice of Life comedy is an adaptation of the popular manga series created by Tomohito Oda and... The series premise centers on an average high school boy, Hitohito Tadano, and Shoko Komi, the most popular girl at their prep school. Tadano is the first classmate ever to notice that Komi suffers from social anxiety. And behind the icy, beautiful, and poised demeanor that she has become known for throughout their school, she just wants to make friends. Unfortunately, her social anxiety makes it makes that difficult for her. Um, but now with Tadano by her side, she may have a chance at achieving her goal of making 100 friends. So I really like, just like in the manga, but in, I think it's important in the anime that they continue to reiterate that Komi has a community, like I don't, it's still kind of weird when sometimes like in the manga it was said a communication disorder, but mm-hmm. I like that, that they explain like it's just a social anxiety, which, imp- that, which affects her ability to communicate with people. So essentially she's bad at communicating. She can't communicate with people mm-hmm. verbally. So that's important to understand because it's not because people will misunderstand her as just like, well, why is it so hard for her to make friends? Like, can't she just write a note and do it? Can't she do this and do it? Can't she just text people? No, she literally in every aspect of communicating with people, it is hard for her and she has anxiety and she gets anxious about communicating with people. So she in the first episode it is the one it's the most beautifully animated episode because it's very dramatic shots it's very honestly dynamic in all the ways it like uses the characters the setting the background it's it's beautiful but the first episode really takes care and time using the bulk of the episode explaining what is this communication disorder it, like you for to like just give y'all this like this isn't a spoiler or anything but um it's not like something traumatic happened. There's no, we don't have any reason why she can't communicate. We know that like, she just has never been able to do, like to communicate with people like other folks would before. So she just can't communicate. Um, and a lot, like what, it's a line she had said in the first episode where she's just like, I tried and I wanted to talk to people, but then I started to get scared and worried about what they, what they think of me differently. Would they, would they hate if I said something the wrong way? Would like, and you see how like real, how all of this really impacts her mental health and how her anxiety is affected because she's so worried about, and what if I say the wrong thing? What if people hate me if I say it? What if this, what if that? And, it, and that stops her from being able to communicate. And with, I think it's important that um, Tadano, her classmate, is the first person to like recognize that she has a communi- has um, has issues with communicating because everybody else in the school just thinks of her as this super popular, almost god tier person. Like she, they're just like, and they're so worried about approaching her that they're just like, oh no, she wouldn't want to be friends with me. She would never talk to me. She's just so beautiful. She's so popular. I want to be friends with her. And like, little do you know, she would like to be friends too, but y'all just make all these like assumptions about her without actually approaching and talking Mm -hmm. to her. So 
which leads them to the issue at hand where now with Tadano's help, um, you have Comey and Tadano, you have them both navigating friendships in high school, which I love in the first, in like the second episode, you think it's going to be easy. If like Tadano's like, it's going to be easy. I'll just introduce her to some girls and the girls will like welcome her in and they'll be, and they'll like her and everything will be fine. And little does he know that like, as soon as he tries to make an introduction, one of the popular girls in the class is just like, how dare you approach, approach us, you regular dude, like regular dude, like know your place <laughs> to him, which he's like, okay, so this is going to be harder than I thought. And mm-hmm. like, and they want, and these are girls who would like to be friends with Comey, but they're so stuck on like high school hierarchy that like, you're missing out on an opportunity to be friends. But the other thing about this series is that it's important that, that, it's important to Comey to make genuine connections and genuine friendships. She doesn't just want to be friends with anybody. She actually wants to like be friends with people that she gets along with and can get to know. And that, you know, it's a act like it's a friendship. It's not just like, oh, you're popular. I'll be friends with you. You're popular. And then that's how I'll get a hundred friends faster. Like, no, she's not trying to make a hundred friends to just like as a status. She wants to make actual genuine connections with people other things about it that like there's a character named najimi osana so najimi like the way they introduce them is that they are gender ambiguous and najimi is basically the antithesis the antithesis am i saying that right antithesis Antithesis, Antithesis, I think, yes. Antithesis, yes. So basically the complete opposite of Comey in every way, Mm -hmm. where Najimi can talk to anybody and become friends with them in less than a second. Um, Like their nickname is everyone's childhood friend. Just (laughs) literally everyone's childhood friend throughout the school and they're just friends with everybody. And it's just because like, and they are an expert at communicating. Mm -hmm. And when Tadano introduces Najimi to Comey, they even have like this kind of rift of like, Najimi's anxious because Comey's not talking and Comey's anxious because Najimi's not talking. And it's just like, they cancel each other out because like Najimi needs somebody to talk back to them (laughs) or or they're just like, well, now I'm anxious and I can't communicate with you. Um, But there's other, plenty of other characters. I mean, it's a beautiful slice of life comedy series which for people who aren't familiar with the term slice of life it's it's a grounded in a sense of you're going to see characters do everyday things you're going to see them go to school you're going to see Comey go to the library you're going to see her you, like there's going to end the show how the show is placed for each or paced for each episode it's like chapters in the episode where it's like you have Comey at school and like there's some a small maybe 10 minute segment of them at school and then like the next chapter is five minutes of Comey maybe at a restaurant trying to order a coffee hmm. it's hilarious trying to watch her how to how she can order a coffee when she literally will not speak verbally but that's the whole point of the series is that you have people who are watching her from the outside and like oh she looks so demure and so beautiful I, I want to get whatever she's getting and then you will see how like she doesn't say anything but the barista is like you don't have to say anything I know what you need and she's like, sir, how do you know what she needs? <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like, no, you can't guess. But the thing is that the interesting thing to me about that is uh, there's a drama that came out recently, a K-drama that came out recently on Netflix. Um, it's called Inspector Cool. And there's a character called Santa. And one of the reasons I love this character is he doesn't talk. He probably mm-hmm. says in total, in out of the entire 16 episodes, he, I think he talks maybe 
seven times total and each line of dialogue is very short and it's just because he he's he doesn't want to talk he just doesn't talk and what he but he uses a phone app where he just types in and then mm-hmm. you like the and the app like trans does the audio translation of what he's typed what he's saying and i love this because like no one no no not even the villain no one that he interacts with like looks down on him for doing that. It's just an accepted, like they accept that this is his form of communication. I want to say, why are you using a phone? Why don't you just talk? That never happens. Like people are like, okay, like he types and they talk and like they respond back to him as though he's spoken to him. And so I like where like more like a show like that or a character like that. And then you have like um, Najimi in, in the show where like, but I think it's different because like, as you were saying, I was like wondering, why does she just use a phone app to communicate? Like, like, yeah, writing a note takes more time, but like just use a phone app <laughs> to communicate. Right. And but it's like, just, like, it's like that's such an, a simple way to solve her problem. Not it's not a way to solve the problem, but it's just a way to get around it without making without people judging or misunderstanding her. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and her thing is like people you would think like, oh yeah, just get a smartphone and text that what you want to say. But it's like, no, she gets nervous about like she'll freeze up and not know what to say in a text and it's like yeah. and that's just and, and I think that just shows the extent the extent of like her anxiety like of how this anxiety affects her ability to communicate with people but like but but she's fine using a notepad and a paper and everyone accepts that form of communication no one ex- like no one none of the classmates when she starts to communicate that way nobody questions that and they accept is she it getting any form of counseling no so from uh, like going from the manga and then going from like the anime I don't I don't think they're ever going to bring up counseling or anything like that but I will say and this is a spoiler from the manga but like y'all can I don't know y'all can not listen to this if you don't want to but like she does make progress mm-hmm. um in communicating with people so it's really about her getting like it, it starts off with her making friends and as, as she's met certain friends and she's been able to like get more comfortable she eventually be, becomes able to communicate verbally out loud and speaking out loud to people it just I think it just I think the series it's not so much about her about this anxiety about it making it's not so much about the anxiety and making it feel, seem like she has a disorder that needs to be fixed as mm. much as it is how is she going to navigate the world with this anxiety and how does she progress through it mm. for me it's not I'm, I'm not thinking that it needs to be fixed it's just that she counseling to me isn't necessarily right. fixing a problem it's understanding mm-hmm. what causes the problem like how you yourself relate to the own issue that you your have because like mm-hmm. for anyone who's getting counseling for like anxiety depression or whatever it's not necessarily you want to fix it you just want to understand it better so that you're able to function with it and that's mm-hmm. why I think like for a show like that if they're doing all of this and so much of it is about her learning how to communicate with people I would think going having counseling would be a major part of helping her understand how to communicate with people rather than just fumbling along until even you know because like I know it's a manga and it's thing, but I'm just thinking like, mm-hmm. okay, for anyone who, because people like to say, oh, it's just after to me, you know, three things into these things deeply. I'm like, yeah, you do, especially if you're talking about mental, um, a mental, some people with mental illness are, you know, communi- are having problems like communication or suffering or have disabilities. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Like you do have to be careful with how it's portrayed, whether it's in manga, whether it's in a TV show, whether it's in film, you have to be like, I think creatives need to be, very cognizant of how like they're portraying issues that real people have like these are real issues and like 
if you're doing it wrong, if you're not putting enough thought, like to me, I would think having just even mentioning the possibility of, of, of her going to a counselor, a psychiatrist, a, a, you know, a psychologist to figure out what, because like something like that doesn't just happen. Like something had to have triggered. That's triggered the thing. It. No, that's the thing. Even from all the manga, there's never been any explanation. She's just like, she just has had always been nervous about communicating. And then like, when you get a peek into her family side, you learn that like, okay, the father can communicate out loud. The brother can communicate out loud. The mother is very talkative, but the father doesn't communicate often. Like him and him and Comey just have this understanding and way of communicating with each other that's almost telepathically. The brother chooses like the character you were talking about. The brother can communicate out loud. He just chooses not to communicate out loud with anyone at all and I think like the only thing that can seem like that saying that seems like it could be related to like trauma for her is that she felt very isolated because she did not communicate with anybody in her junior high but again like it's like she just she has never communicated out loud to anyone like at home she can communicate like but she doesn't communicate like but she's not her mom just like understands what she wants or she'll like, but it's like, she's comfortable at home. So it's just like, it's not that she's, you know, that, and that's the thing that's like, I've always found is like, interesting. I'm like, okay, so there's nothing that happened specifically in your life from like childhood where you didn't, that where you could not talk. It's just that she's always been nervous about talking and anxious about talking to people because she's worried about what they'll think of her. At least that's how it's the, that's how it's been portrayed. And see, that's I would like to me. see it dug deeper, though, in like in the anime, if they want to dig into it deeper, because I get that, like, that's the the whole series, like, that's the conflict is just that it's it's a conflict. It's not this thing that she's going to go and talk about with anybody. Okay, but, so like the thing that really has me really interested in this is like sometimes like you don't always need a reason, but for something that's such for uh, uh, something that's so debilitating for her, I'm like, oh, you need a reason, like. You, like there's like there are kids who like choose not to talk I know there are kids like and like they're not everyone is on the spectrum but there's just some kids that they don't want to talk like when they're young mm-hmm. right right and, like and it, and it's not like they're like and it's not that they're anxious and that they have anxiety or anything like that they just you know like they're just like, oh, there's something they're talking to their whatever that's different than a character like her who is so filled with so much angst and anxiousness that she can't that it physically prevents her from talking that's to me is different where like you there is a reason there has to be a reason for that like where did this anxiety come from right and i mean maybe the anime will dig into that deeper i will say i will say like i'm trying to think back from the from the beginning of the manga i think it just went like they explained it as like from what we know from like in high school the most traumatic thing that happened to her is that she felt very isolated all throughout her school life in junior high and like even before then she felt isolated because she did not communicate with anyone but again it's not that people treated her or bullied her or did anything wrong to her everyone treated her as like she was super popular and they were nice to her but nobody but she did not have an actual friend and then which which i understand because like i suffer with anxiety and i used to feel like isolated in school because uh i only had like a few friends because i was bullied in school and stuff but then also it was my sister made friends easier than I did, but it's just like, I don't know. I'm just like really fascinated by this. I would just ask, I'm like, what caused this? Where did the anxiety come from? If she mm-hmm. went to school with the anxiety, she didn't have it at home, but she has it at school. 
that's where I'm having a problem. And the thing is, like, it doesn't it doesn't stop her from doing things like going to school, doing tasks at school, participating in class. Like she's just always, she's always found a way to navigate around it. So like when she's called upon in class to read something, she'll stand up, she'll hold the book, won't say a thing. And the teacher's like, lovely, good job. And it's just because people perceive her, like just taking her appearance and just like, oh, we must not have heard her, but she just did a great job. She looks so beautiful because they're so distracted by how beautiful she looks. And she doesn't use this. She's that not trying like to- That's such a typical K-drama. Not a, a typical, not even K. That's such a typical Asian drama trope. Like where someone is so beautiful that like you excuse yes. any kind of nonsense. Not that I'm calling social anxiety that. nonsense, but like they get away with doing- any and everything because they're pretty they're like oh my god you're a trashy person but you're so pretty like they literally do that though and there's so and that's the other thing about this series is that it leans into anime tropes like leans into them and like that's that's the best thing about the the comedy is that it's leaning in very hard to like the childhood friend trope the confession after school trope the beach episode you know there's always a beach the the festival the summer festival where there's fireworks and you know possible romance comes about just no. yeah two people falling in love as the fireworks burst overhead very much yes. a troll. Yeah. very much <laughs> but yeah that is call me can't communicate i've enjoyed it for the anime i mean it's the slice of life series that i did not know i needed just because mm. like i've just been tired and i've just needed something that i can escape into and this is nice but I yeah. like how it, I do like how it shows, oh, sorry, last thing. My favorite thing about the series is that Comey, while she does have her issues with communicating, you have other students who like she meets and like inadvertently or directly, she helps them with their communication issues too. Like she's very, like she finds a way to encourage people because like she's trying to get out of her shell and trying to communicate more and to overcome her fear of communication. Mm-hmm. And it's like other people will be like, it's like it it could be something as simple as her handing a handkerchief to somebody or approaching them and trying to talk to them. And they'll be like, oh, you want to be my friend? You're helping me. And then it's that's when like that connection finally happens and they're able to communicate. So. Yeah, that, that's I that I, I'm going to watch that eventually, probably for Christmas, because there's another one that I, I'm not sure if it's weekly or if it was uploaded all on time. Um, it was. Where the house husband, I think it's yes, called. Yes, I love it. That's the one. That's the one I, I want. I'm getting. That's on my Christmas watch list too. Because you know me, I'm a foodie. I just love watching anime. Food is always so pretty. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a live action one too. One. Yeah, I've seen clips for this one, and the food looks really good. So like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm gonna get into for over Christmas. Um, so my TV show is I'm gonna do two instead of one, and but I'm gonna just. And the reason I'm doing two is because I think both shows are two sides of the same coin um and they're K- korean dramas okay so like i know i've talked a lot about korean dramas this year for like a lot of my sh- the shows i've covered are korean dramas i was gonna do japanese but the reason i haven't been able to do the japanese because the ones that i'm watching aren't f- f- completed yet i think one of them which is um super rich is finished finished this week but i haven't been able to watch episodes i haven't been able to watch the subbed one and then there's radiation house i wanted the subs were taking forever so but i promise next year i'm gonna do more from other countries like japan thailand china um but for december i'm gonna talk about hellbound and happiness and these two shows i think are two of my favorite shows for the year and i I love like i love my like I'm not going to call them trash, but you know, just like the ones that you don't have to think too deeply. I love those types of dramas, yes. but these shows are not that. 
the hellbound and happiness are not ones that you can just look at as um, regular empty quote unquote entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk about hellbound first because that one came up first. So hellbound is on Netflix, and that one was written um, by Yeon Sang Ho and Choi Kyu Sok. So if you don't know, Yeon Sang Ho is the director and writer of Train to Busan and the sequel of it, Pen- Peninsula. And so him and Choi Kyu Sok they created a web comic. And they based the film, the, the TV show Hellbound off of this webcomic that they created. So it's only six episodes. It's relatively short. And you can watch it in a day if you want to. Um, it's not heavy. It, uh, take that back. Okay. It's heavy, but it's not heavy and as in it's super depressing or it's like a lot, or it has like a lot of really dark imagery. It's more about the themes for this show. I think this show does a spectacular job of exploring the ways that religious fanaticism, um, media, uh, religious ide- um, ideologies, and also I would think um, parenthood as well as moral and ethics all combine together. And what I think is one of my favorite shows for the year. And this show, I think, like for anyone who grew up in a conservative household or a conservative culture and country, I'm from Barbados, and like Barbados is is becoming more progressive, but it's also still a very conservative country. It's like Christian, conservative, like Protestant, especially. I went to Anglican churches, I went to um, Pentecostal, I went to a couple Baptist churches, but for most of my, like for my teenage years into early adulthood, um, I was Seventh Adventist. So like very conservative, very pro- uh, Protestant. And like South Korea, like the show is a South Korean drama. So South Korea itself is also very conservative, Christian conservative. Um, and they explore how these things can affect society negatively. Because, you know, like when like conservatives or evangelical Christians, they, they say, oh, you know, religion, Christianity, all these things are beneficial for society, you know, like sin and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But he like does, he shows how actually it can be the very opposite. And it makes sense because like foundation of Christianity, as we know it, isn't only founded on like the Ten Commandments and like Jesus teaches in the New Testament. A lot of it is also very much founded on war and destruction and death. Like the, the war crusades. The crusades. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like a lot of that ties into the story. Like, like they talk about um how people are persecuted for um whether for whether or not they believe in God, whether or not they believe in tenants, and like literally persecuted because there's these three. Um, beings, these three creatures, monsters, if you will, that just suddenly appear and they literally <laughs> beat the shit out of people. Excuse my language, like beat mm-hmm. them, like and yeah. then like just burn Take them at torch and send their souls to hell. Um, but before that happens, this is something that's just, that's revealed later in the show is that there's this face that appears and ha- issues a decrease, and you will have basically, you know, like in the Bible it says, many many to hell, um, Euphrates. Uf- which is a verse from um, in the Bible where in, I think it was in Babylon where the king, it, I can't remember. It was one of the Babylonian kings where the hand of God mm-hmm. appeared and wrote, it was many, many to Calvary, which is that you have been waiting from wanting like, that was inscribed on the wall. And basically what these, what this decree is saying is basically the same thing where it's like, you have been judged and you have been found to be a sinner. And like, therefore henceforth on this particular day at this particular time, you will face judgment and your soul will be sent to hell. And like, that's a very, protestant christian idea and it was something that only like something that like especially like we mentioned the war the crusades and like you had the spanish inquisitions where they use religion as a way to torture people to like you know for conversion and and, yeah for conversion and then like like a lot of like straight up into like the 18th and early 19th century with slavery where Mm -hmm. like slave masters and the establishments like the countries and like colonialist countries like spain and england 
they use religion as a way to to demonize people you know they went to countries like they went to the caribbean they went to um south america they went to latin america they went to africa they went to china and they said you people who are who are our ethnic um cultures are savages you know there and you are mm. not of god and we will literally slaughter you to show that you must follow the bible and follow god like our god is gonna is like god of salvation but we will kill you for not following our tenets so like this show can explore in very very subtle ways and then it talks about how like evangelicals and cult leaders use media to manipulate people and to mislead people into for doing using the uh, the whole idea again of religion and christianity and belief in god and morality as a way to get people to to as a way to exploit people right and mm-hmm. like it's it's like i just think it's like so one of the, one of the best um, written dramas for the year um it's so well done and happiness is kind of like i think happiness is the same but slightly different so happiness is more instead of about religion happiness is mm-hmm. more about uh, classism and capitalism and socialism because happiness is talking about how people put class like class and social structures above morality and ethics so mm-hmm. whereas in hellbound you have these three creatures who are damning so uh, like damning people's souls to hell in happiness there is an outbreak <laughs> at, at the beginning you're like that you're like hoping that they're not inferring that the vaccine <laughs> for covid because <laughs> the, the, the show does start out talking about covid like, mm-hmm. like, like, literally, this is one of the also the first K dramas of 2021 where COVID itself is referenced. Like, okay. um, in, Sisyph- in Sisyphus, and in um, there's another drama where they reference a pandemic, but they don't actually say the word COVID. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Happiness, Happiness is the first one that I've seen where the word COVID is actually mentioned and where it has had and where it like they're showing the impact after a long term where like they've like COVID has been not eradicated but they've learned how to like suppress it as much as possible and like the the military and the government are working with together to find vaccines and like to to prevent another outbreak but what happens is like there's this medication it's not the vaccine because at first you're thinking like i hope they're not saying the vaccine turns me into zombies but it doesn't it's another drug that was created for um a weight loss drug uh, it's kind of like a stimulant. Of course. It, it's, it's like a stim, but it's like a stimulant for people who like, uh, but it gets people addicted, but it does some, it messes up their systems where it um, mutates the cells and mutates the body. And mm-hmm. like, because you have this outbreak now, like there, these people are like sequestered in this building and it kind of shows like, again, COVID, I think this shows such a brilliant um, example of how society break, falls apart where pe- because people don't work together. Mm. Right. So like the, right. the, the building is just like a, a test, like, you know, a small like a Petri dish of, um, of society in general. And, and like these people, there are some who want to work together, which is like the two main characters who work together to try to stem and like control the situation and say, OK, we need to have a plan. We need we need water. We need supplies like we all have to work together to do this. And then there's other people who are only in it for themselves. They're only out to like control the situation because like there's this woman she she wants to be the building manager because to her that's like her highest ambition they want to be the building manager because this is a really expensive building in a in a very um um coveted part of seoul and like you know and it's talking about how in south korea and i would say in any capitalist society where like position and power matter more than actually helping people you want to be in charge of all these people but you don't actually care about how to protect these people it's just the title you're after 
And then mm. these people, they're all they care about is like they have the people separating in the building because they're thinking, oh, I'm on the highest floor, which means that my life means more to you because I'm richer. So because like, you know, the higher up you go, the more expensive the apartments are. So you're thinking, I live here, so therefore I'm above you, literally and physically and, and metaphorically. So like these people who are in the um, more expensive apartments, they are looking down on the people in the lower apartments. And that's actually a, t- um, a, a thing, a discussion, uh, a commentary on South Korean society where literally in Seoul and in like some of the bigger um, cities and provinces where like the richest people do look down on the poor people. And there's literally buildings, even in England, where mm-hmm. like the, there's a home, the people who own their own condos and apartments look down on the people who rent. Right. And like they, they don't do. want them to, yeah, they don't want them to come through the main entrance. Like they have to come through the site or the garage. And in England, it's the same in England. And I think in, in New York too, their buildings where like the renters are people from like the, the lower apartments aren't allowed to enter through the main doors. They have to come through the back door or the side door. Wow. It's segregation. It's social segregation. Mm-hmm. And, and and the show is talking about that brilliantly and using a, and using a virus. And to me, the virus in this isn't about the virus that's turning the, the people into monsters. It, the virus to me is, is greed and selfishness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's really corrupting the society. The, the virus is just an offshoot of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think these two shows work really well together. And they're like, a, to me, they're like a really, they'll be like, uh, it would be too much as a double feature. <laughs> but I think they're like, as I said, like two sides of the same coin. I think the writers did such a brilliant job. And I should say, um, happiness is written um, by um, Han Sang-woo and directed by An Gilo. And um, it's like, they're two, like, I would, I want to say they're two separate, but I kind of look at them as the same. So like, they're two, my favorite Korean, one of my favorite Korean dramas for 2021. And I would, and happiness is on Viki and other streaming platforms, whereas How About Can Only Be Found on Netflix, legally. <laughs> hmm. And I'm, I'm like, I'll just add, because like, I know I'm a, I'll probably mention Hellbound later, but like, it is very good for all those reasons. So <laughs> just, I really enjoyed it. I, I need to go back and just finish the last two episodes of it. But mm. who I know, I, I took a break because school got in the way. But man, I, I, did, I also needed a break because I'm like, this is heavy. Like, because you're like, like, it's not. Okay, could I watch it? And I'd be fine. Yes, I could. But like. <laughs> It makes you think a lot. It makes you think a lot. And it's one of those shows that like, I don't want to, I started watching it as something to have on as I was doing my papers. And then I realized I can't watch this as I do my papers because I am very much sucked into like knowing everything about this. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like, you just don't want to miss any details. So oof, it's good. I can't wait. I might, I might go back and finish that tonight. The last um, two episodes are so good. Like there's a real, there's a brilliant reference, I think personally to Trojan of Men. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, that's like, I love that film. So like the way how that reference, I be, as I said, I believe it's a representative homage to that film plays into the final episodes. I would say beginning from episode three, because it's six episodes, but like, to me, I kind of see this period because the, the first three are kind of set in 2023. And then the last three episodes are set in 2027. So it does a time jump. And like, mm-hmm. there's this kind of like, as I said, it's kind of, the story kind of also explores um, religious fanaticism and also the formation of cults. So like there's this character played by Yuan Yi. He's like a cult leader at like, like the beginning stages of a cult leader where like, you know, he's young, he's charismatic. And then the second, the second half episodes um, four to six is like, uh, like there's technically there are two separate characters, but I kind of see them as one and the same where this person is older and like they have their, um, their audience, they have their congregation and they, and they're just in it for the profit. They're in it for the money. 
And the way how the last half of the show deals with um, references like the, uh, the concept of original sin and like using a film like um, Children of Men as a reference for this very particular scene. I think it's so good. And you, the ending is will blow you away. Like I love the ending so much. I'm like, you don't see the ending coming at all, but it's so, so good. And um, like, oh, and before I finish, because I'll stop talking about the dramas, the dramas now, because we're going to move on to our films. I have a more detailed, um, in-depth um, exploration and discussion about Hellbound on the Beyond the Romance uh, drama channel. So that's on YouTube um, while as we're recording, but I'm also going to have the podcast version up by the end of the week. And so you'll be able to hear, have the podcast and the YouTube version um, available. Um, so there's, so that's it. That's Hellbound and Happiness. Great watches. Enjoy them, hopefully. <laughs> like, as I said, there are a lot to watch, but it's not because they're like super violent. Or, there is violence, but... It's more like the themes are very, the writing is very detailed and it makes you think like you're watching things, you're like thinking, aha, I see where this is going and that kind of stuff. So like, it's a, it's a lot to like taking, like at just watching. Um, so for film, like we'll begin our film section now for film, I'm going to pass it on to Nisha because I have two films. <laughs> just hit, you come up with the double headers. That's all. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just doing double headers today. Um, so we'll, I'll have Nisha to talk about her film, and then we'll do my two my two films, and then we're gonna have a special segment at the end. But first, Nisha, yes. what is your film pick for December? So my film, and actually, I do have a surprise because I'd like forgot I watched like two other films, but like <laughs> I'm only going to mention them and say I love them, and then we will come back in January and maybe I'll dive into them more. But um, so my film is Spider-Man No Way Home, which I've had people, I've had friends who have called this one of the best films of the decade. That, that, and I, I went into it with like, wait, you said the decade? What do you mean the decade? And he was just like, yeah, but I haven't seen anyone say the decade. No, no, not like, not a critic person. Like just general, I would say like just taking in general, mm-hmm. you know, friends who are fans in the same way that I am fans like they're like people have been like this was the best film of the year this is this might be the best film of the decade like I'm like okay well let me go in and watch this I managed to go in with no spoilers except for like there was that rumored script leak which everybody shared when it came out earlier this summer but luckily I got to just go in and forget about that yeah, somehow I missed that too. Yeah, no, be happy you did because people were being annoying and just like Uh posting it everywhere when it first came um but anyways I really, I really, really enjoyed this for multiple reasons. This is also the time when I tell y'all spoilers. Carolyn's already said she's fine with it, so I'm just going to dive right away. And here we go. So, y'all, I did not expect for this to hit me that hard. I've always said that, like, I love Spider Man, I enjoy Spider Man, but did I ever call myself like a Spider Man fan in the sense that some people call themselves Spider Man fans? No. This movie made me a Spider Man fan, however, like a very, very diehard fan, as in the sense that, like, I will go and fight for Peter Parker. Like, I will go and save Peter Parker if I could. Um, this movie has a lot going on as far as like you know the story where in the previous film which we reviewed on here um when it came out spider-man far from home where peter's secret identity is revealed thanks to the jake gyllenhaal's character in the previous movie mysterio yes 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 mysterio um thanks to that getting linked and him framing him for his murder and all these other things and all that so like peter's dealing with the aftermath of that and that's exactly where the film opens up it then you see him like having to go into court 
like and defend himself and then like a luckily that whole situation of being framed for murder that really gets swept in the rug really fast but the part that made me scream matt murdoch came on the big screen we have daredevil from the netflix daredevil mm. series it is confirmed my man is in the mcu he yeah, is not getting enough. recasted that i know but i know but i just needed to see him <laughs> and like I needed to see him to know that it wasn't just a rumor I just needed to know I need to see him on the big screen with Peter and that was everything for me so we finally have we finally have Daredevil being confirmed in the MCU which gives me hope for Punishers for John Bernthal's Punisher I really could care less about Jessica I, I don't care about Jessica Jones and frankly Luke Cage I could take it or leave it but I'm, I'm just happy Daredevil either. I, it's the way I just don't care for the defenders to come back. I, you see how I didn't even mention Danny Rand. But anywho, this ain't about them. Matt Murdock is. is you can here. see my face, like I know if y'all can see our faces. Anyways, our, my man is here. I'm happy. He's been in it for a very short minute, but like it means a lot because we're building that out more. Mm-hmm. Um, other things you go there's the whole situation with Steve with Doctor Strange and Peter when like and Doctor Strange just like. I will cast a spell for you. They do it. Peter, it's the way that like in every Spider-Man movie, I won't say every, but in some Spider-Man movies, it's the sense, it's the thing of like, Peter, if you had just let things be the way they were. They would have resolved themselves. It would have resolved himself. You could have just gone and tell Aunt May all over again. You could have called, you could have told Ned and them all over again. You could have just let everyone forget that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. And none of this nonsense would have gone to the extent that it was going to happen. But no, Peter, he, but again, Peter is a child. That's how we have to remind ourselves. Peter's a child. And he was thinking like, no, I can't, I don't want Aunt May to forget. And I don't want MJ to forget. And I don't want Ned to forget. And then there's happy, like, that's because he's a child and he's having those thoughts front of mind. But anyways, (laughs) as y'all know from the commercial, the spell goes awry. People all from the multiverse is like not birthed because we know the multiverse has been existing but like basically the multiverse is like the existence of it to these characters is made known and all these characters from multiple multiple (laughs) from different universes come into peter's multiple universe how is that going to tie in sorry to think but no no that's fine my brain's thing how is that going to tie into the loki storyline then so we know as of right now that between loki and wanda like those two, those two series, we know that those in this movie, and then you have Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. So I think truly, this was really just to like bring the reminder of like, oh yeah, the multiverse, and this is how this all works and it affected Peter. But then we're gonna have to go to Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness and see how the multiverse is really affecting all those things. Because Peter, what is Peter gonna do with the multiverse? He can't do nothing to fix it. Shit. Now it's, it's like, he can't do a damn thing with the multiverse, but Doctor Strange is the one who's got to clean it up and that man's gonna be stressed, stressed. You know what the problem is? White people. <laughs> It's not Doctor Strange's fault, so I will say it's not that white man's fault. It is Wanda and Doctor Strange's fault. Did one not say don't cast that spell? But so here's the thing: how everything lines up, we truly don't know. From like Loki, we know with you know he who who he who remains that he was just tired. He's like, I'm done. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to see what happens. I don't know what's happening. And I've been the only person that's been stopping the multiverse from basically intertwining. Like I've, I, have secu- I have kept the sacred timeline safe and I have done this for all of time. And now I'm done and I don't care. So let, I'll let you two decide. No, I'm tired. Which I get that. That man was tired. And, but, you know, Loki, you shouldn't have like, well, it's not technically Loki's fault. It's Sylvie's, Syl- I can't remember her name. His girlfriend's fault. She did it. She killed him. Cypher. Nope, that's from Pennsylvania. Sylvie. What's her name? You know, I'm going to look it up. His variant that he's in love with himself. But anywho, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that happened. So like, I don't think it's going to be made clear to us what the aftermath of Wanda, what the aftermath of Loki, and like which one was it? Was it spy, was it the spell? Was it I I truly believe it's a mixture of all three and maybe it's just gonna be revealed that all three happened at once. Like because we truthfully don't know if it was Wanda first or if it was Loki oh, or if it was like Doctor storylines gonna be happening at the same time just in different locations. That's what I think. I think it's just gonna be a matter of timing and it's just like if anything, Loki's situation probably was like the bigger one since that was more directly tied to the multiverse whereas mm-hmm. dr strange and wanda seems like they were just effects that happened to the multiverse you know what's the thing you know what's my problem with the mcu too many things going on <laughs> it's becoming way too convoluted it's just getting way too 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 complicated and the problem with that is you can have complicated and understandable mm-hmm. it's becoming complicated and incoherent like, I feel like the incoherent comes because like we just don't have all the answers yet. And the problem with that is that they are depending on most of the audience still after all this time being familiar with comic book canon. Well, I will say for this one, I don't think you really have to be familiar with comic book canon. You got to be familiar with the other Spider-Man films. So. You just you have to be familiar with the other Marvel films that have dealt with this or There are how many films? Oh my god, there's almost at this point, films now. The money speaks for itself. People will keep going. People will keep watching. And then they, like, so they're just going to keep building on it. I mean, no, but people going to keep going. But I want better writing because the writing for these shows has been, to me, becoming very weak. And they're relaying more on like fan fanaticism and just us being fans of the characters themselves Mm -hmm. rather than the stories, rather than the writing. Because I will say, like, honestly, what is the, the, how good, honestly, has the writing been for like the last few? I wouldn't even say the last few. I would say probably the last seven films. I think after Thor Ragnarok, the writing for these films has not been that good. I would say if, I, if someone was to ask me, like, pick the ones that have been best written, it's like, okay, Thor Ragnarok. And then it's like skip Avengers Endgame, skip Avengers um, Infinity War. And it's really just because like, yeah, like those are two examples of like, there's too much going on. I really don't care. There's no really high, st- like, there's like, I just, I'm not going to go back and watch them. I, and I, that's how I go back and I like, I'm not going back to watch any of them except for Ragnarok. Ragnarok is the only one I've seen maybe like two or three times. Others, which it's like one or done and one and done. Right. Which maybe that's just like another discussion we can do as a bonus episode. But segueing back to Spider Man, I will say this is a movie that I will watch again. And it's more so because. For people who love Spider-Man and love the mm-hmm. Spider- Spider-Man movies, I'm talking about from the, the Sam Raimi, from Tobey Maguire. And uh, if you if you did like the amazing Spider-Man movies, that's yeah. great for y'all. Yeah, I mean, moments. 
He had his moments. I did not go to the theaters to watch them. No, I waited until they came on TNT and TBS. But for y'all who enjoyed Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, which again, he didn't do nothing wrong. I'm just saying I, it wasn't for me. Um, this is a special film for, I think, a lot of Spider-Man fans because the moment, which spoiler, but not spoiler, because we all knew this was going to happen. The moment you see all three Spider-Man on screen together and there's this very touching moment. Okay, Carolyn, I'm asking you again. Are you fine with all spoilers? Spoilers. Okay, okay, so I just want to pause before I forget it. I, we keep kind of forgetting that Into the Spider-Verse is a Marvel film. Mm-hmm. So I would say, caveat after Thor Ragnarok, Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. It's not technically an MCU film, but it is still a Marvel film because Marvel bottled Sony and it's produced by Sony, but it is still a Marvel film. So caveat after Thor Ragnarok, you had Into the Spider-Verse last best and marvel film the rest have been i haven't seen eternal so fair to like i but i've heard the writing for that is just as iffy like there's a whole bunch of plot holes there's some plot elements that i know of that i don't agree with like making a black gay man basically technically responsible for his the bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki but i digress but continue i still haven't seen eternals but Okay, I'm going to wait until that comes out on Disney Plus still. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so spoilers, as I've said, and again, I've given y'all warnings. Aunt May dies. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. they like killing off the women. Well, it's, I fridging think- Fridging is popular in Hollywood. Think, well, it's not, I wouldn't call this fridging. Like, it doesn't fit that trope, like, mm. of fridging, where it's just that truly Aunt May, her life was sacrificed saving Peter. Um, and it's kind of like this whole thing of- if you if I went in and I knew that there was going to be a death, I would have thought that Ned or MJ, and I had really expected like the real threat to be MJ, to be Zendaya's character, who might die. But no, I was not expecting Aunt May to die. He can't so, kill Zendaya. <laughs> right. Well, right. I'm gonna fight everybody. But they but Aunt May dies, and like I wasn't expecting that because like from other series, Aunt May doesn't die. Aunt May has never, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know any comic, I haven't been super familiar with the comic books, but Aunt May has not been killed off. So she dies. And you know how, like, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, we never saw Uncle Ben's death. And that was a very, we know that is a very formative moment for Spider-Man. And that's when you get, like, for, with great strength, with great powers comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Aunt May says those lines to Peter, and that's the first time he gets that. So then when the three Spider-Man come together and they've heard that he lost Aunt May and you see like them grieving for him because they understand the weight of losing somebody, but also of course, like losing Aunt May, like she's literally the only person Peter has left. That is it. That's his family. And now he feels alone and like he just feels alone. And like, even though, and I don't want to give everything away from the plot for people who are listening but like that I felt like was a very touching moment where it's like here's Peter never being able to like feel like anyone can understand the responsibility the weight and all the pressure that's been on him and then you finally have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man which they're older than him it's very clear that they are older than him like um Tobey Maguire's is like he looks like there's the joke of like Andrew Garfield saying like do you just walk around looking like a a cool youth pastor all the time (laughs) and it's just like and like it's clear that like Andrew Garfield looks like he's like you know a young a grown man maybe he's in college or not or something Mm -hmm. so it's just nice to see them all interacting with each other in that supportive way but then also seeing how they interact with each other and like 
when they're trying to solve the problems and like they have to use their brains and then they're like putting like they're doing science and it's just like I like seeing I liked all the chemistry of the Spider-Man it also does justice to the previous Spider-Man movies where I think a lot of people always wanted answers like okay where the hell were the Avengers with Spider-Man and it's like the answer is in their universes the Avengers don't exist and then it's like you have the like there's things like that there's little things like that they're like what the hell is the Avengers and 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 Peter's like y'all don't know who the Avengers are and it's just like okay here there's the answers for y'all there's like multiverses that's why these multiple Marvel movies exist so technically Blade is probably in the multiverse with Wesley Snipes Blade and then we will have Mahershala Ali's Blade in, a, in his own multiverse so people can stop with the arguments no Siri I don't need your answer <laughs> but anyways I just like the fact that now we won't have to hear angry nerd bros yelling about but this doesn't make sense because if it's he if he's in New York where was the Fantastic Four the answer is they probably don't exist in that timeline but I've always thought that that's what it was anyway I was gonna look at them as separate universes that's if it wasn't made in the MCU I accept that it, they that they don't it's exist in the universe. same timeline separate universes and that's it and that's if all they had it in the, if, they, if they hadn't brought in Matt Murdock I would have just I, I would have just assumed that he's in another universe same same but anyways I want to give everything away that's just like some of the things I loved about it um if I were to grade it I'm gonna give it a 9.5 just because I like that this is like the first true multiverse film that could mm. change over a year, but I will say it is one of the, my favorite films of the year. I am looking forward to it because I do love that. I'm like, my love for the MCU has waned a mm-hmm. lot. Like, I really have gotten to the point where I'm just like, meh about them. I feel like Loki brought me back. And I think that's because now we're bringing in the multiverses. That's that's the thing that, because after Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, after Infinity War, I was just like, I'm tired but like, I'm, honestly i'm just exhausted like they're just too many goddamn shows man that's like oh yeah and captain marvel i mean i still ain't even watched hawkeye yet but i i have at least watched the first episode and I, it's fine it's good but i don't know it's a lot it could be a lot being a marvel fan sometimes but <laughs> anywho that is my film Ugh, I'm just so tired of the mcu honestly i watched shang chi and i'm just like this show this film is a bloody mess i'm like i'm not a fan of Simu Liu, and I'm not a fan of Aquafina. And unfortunately, I know her behind is getting introduced into it. She's being, she's going to be given a significant role, which is my eyes. I'm like, I'm going to have to tolerate her in another film. And she's being cast in a whole bunch of films. I'm just like, please stop trying to make fetch happen with this chick. But that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, they um, literally so- do want her. To- she is the embodiment of fetch right now. But anyways, this ain't about Aquafina. Please go on like bottle water as some people call her you know Nora because her real name is Nora Lum um but moving on um so the film I was going to talk about two films but I'm just thinking like that's going to make things too long so I'm going to talk about one film and the one film I'm going to watch is The Tragedy of Macbeth they're written and directed by Joel Cohen it is of course an adaptation of this play Macbeth by William Shakespeare and this film is gorgeous like it's beautiful it's black it's all black and white and green Mm-hmm. and it is just beautifully filmed and it is I think beautifully acted it has some of my favorite performances of the year and it stars Denzel Washington as as Macbeth Francis McDermott as his wife Brady Carvel, Alex Hassel Corey Hawkins 
um, Harry Melling and Brendan Gleeson. And there is, a, I need to mention her name because I think she's just fantastic. There's Moses Ingram as well as Catherine Hunter. So Catherine Hunter, she's interesting. Um, so she plays the three witches of Macbeth. And she's this one person mm-hmm. playing, and she's just amazing. The physicality, the voice work she does for these because she gives each witch a very distinctive voice pattern and sound. And just the way she moves her body is different for each of them. And she's just amazing. She blew me away. And just like the whole cast is so, um, I think I they, they had a blast filming. I, I legit believe they had so much fun filming this film and it comes across on the screen because the thing with, um, with, um, with Shakespeare you know, is filled with dial uh, monologues. Just mm-hmm. like these characters just ripping and ruining and saying a whole bunch of things. But they ha- they the cast makes it so engaging. Like you can tell they had fun really getting into these lines and being dramatic. And Denzel Washington is, of course, in his element. Francis McDermott. Dermot is in her is in her element. Corey Hawkins as Macduff. I love him as Macduff. It's, I love that Joe Cohen cast. Is, is, it has like, I think it's some Middle Eastern Armenian characters, um, actors in this as well. But the cast is predominantly um, black and white. And so, which I think, which I love because the film is shot in black and white. Um, but like, I just love to see black people playing these kind of roles and they all have their natural hair, which is to me a big deal. You get to see black people with natural hairstyles, with their, nice. their afros and their little twists and braids in a big budget Hollywood film adaptation of Macbeth. Mm. And the editing for this film is flawless. I think out of, for the year, three films that I think, no, four that I would, that I think should be top contenders for editing five, I'm going to make five, would be <laughs> The Tragedy of Macbeth, Terrorizers, which is a Taiwanese film um, by Hobie Ding. And then there is Whether the Weather is Fine, which is a Malaysian film, um, Summer Soul, and Power of the Dog. Those, those five films have fantastic editing. And this film is, I think, to me, brilliantly edited and the uh, cinematography for it is really well done and the fact that this whole film is filmed on a sound stage I think is amazing like for Africa we got to talk to, to Corey Hawkins about his role as Macduff and about filming and like I had to ask him about the the fight sequence because he had uh he's the one who kills spoiler if you haven't read <laughs> if you haven't read Macbeth uh he dies if you ain't and... read it by now because of a class assignment or seen I... some iteration of it through a cartoon yeah. I mean, like, come on now. He dies. <laughs> he loses his head because of his crown and his prey. And the beauty, mm-hmm. and the thing with, um, with Macbeth, Macbeth is, like, you talked about um, Spider-Man and how, like, for Peter, like, if he had just let things resolve on their own, he wouldn't have had a whole bunch of headache. Macbeth yeah. is kind of similar. So, like, Macbeth had this whole prophecy that he would become king. And instead of biding his time, instead of waiting and let things play out as they naturally would have, he and his wife decide that they are going to take matters into their own hands and slay the king and is like because of that like everything just begins to fall apart right like as i said it might i can make a tweet after stuff i'm like they monologue themselves into their own self-destruction and it is like this is like he just he they cause all these issues and it leads to his and it leads to his death at the hands of Macduff. and like the way that plays out in this film i think is so well shot and so well done because there's all these little sequences and these little nuggets that lead up to his destruction. And I just love seeing Denzel Washington in a film like this again, because the last um, Shakespeare adaptation he did was Much Ado About Nothing, which would have been in the 90s. Um, and that was with Emma Thompson. And like, he mm. was like, everyone knows what Denzel Washington looks like in his outfits from Much Ado About Nothing. He looked very dashing 
his mm-hmm. soldiers, um, you know, former thing. But he's older now. He's more husky, you know. He's more. He looks older. He looks more ballet. And like, but for the fight choreography, which I thought was interesting, this is that he uses his body a lot because he's big. Like Denzel Washington, like you know, I don't think you realize how big he actually is. Like tall. Until yeah. He's with other people, and then I'm like, oh wait, Denzel Washington is a large man. Like he's tall and he's like has size, and he's using that physicality in the fighting, and it's just so well done and um. And it's just like great to see him go up against Corey Washington. Like, so there's the young and the old, the bereaved and the arrogant. And like, you have all of these things in these characters and it's just so well done. And that one is going to be on Apple TV. So let me see. It's scheduled for limited theatrical release December 25th by A24. And it will begin streaming on Apple TV on January the 14th of 2022, which is not that far away because we are at the end of December in 2021, which I can't believe that we are at the end of the year already. Um, but that's my film pick for December, The Tragedy of Macbeth. The second film I was going to talk about was The Power of the Dog. But I, again, I have so much to say about that film. But you can see my discussion um, with, about that with another film um, critic, Hafa, on the but why those site. You can have the it's in the podcast version on the site, uh, on the Carolyn Talks, as well as on my YouTube channel. So I'm not going to go into that as well. But The Tragedy of Macbeth is a great film, a great tra- Shakespearean tragedy and like honestly i think it's probably i it's been a while since i've seen a shakespeare adaptation but it kind of makes me go, want to go back and watch more because like shakespeare adaptations are some of the best films that you can find and like as a lot of them were done in the 90s and the early 2000s and i think like joe cohen has done i think a really good job of of um of that and also props to the set design to this um to the production team because again i just love this this how shadows and shapes um and color or the absence of color i would say are used in this film to portray the story and the characters so um that's my december pick okay i like it and now we're gonna go into our special extra segment so this one isn't gonna be very long we're just gonna give a brief mention of our favorite things for 20 21 so it's not like specific it's not like we're not going to review like our favorite film or favorite tv show whatever these are just favorite things uh just like specific favorite things out of like whatever show or drama it doesn't necessarily have to be our favorite show or drama but it's just one thing from these um these shows and films that we really enjoyed for 2021 and i'm gonna let nisha go and list her five favorite things so nisha yes so my five favorite things okay so it was hard um but not really. So <laughs> Insecure, top of the list. It has been the final season of Insecure. <gasps> this is the end of an era for us. But I have to say it's been giving a lot of the things I've been wanting so that we can have the closure that we, the fans, deserve, but that more importantly that the characters deserve. Kelly has had some great moments in the series. She's been, you know, really taken seriously as far as like being more than just a funny friend being Mm -hmm. more than just the comic relief I love that about Kelly I love that she's like funny and she's like wild sometimes but I like that this season may explore her deeper I like that this season explored a lot of things like there was even a time skip so that we can get forward to like after Issa chose herself and left Lawrence and all these other things I know I know we are gonna have to have an insecure 
we should so we should we did it before we can do it again mm -hmm. um but it's been great and now we're just at this point right now where i truly am team isa first but team nathan second and team lawrence never um because <laughs> i don't want her to end up with lawrence i'm truly fine I can't because he acts like everything happened to him. He literally acts like everything bad happened to him. Yes, Issa did cheat on you. Y'all resolved that. You moved on. You worked on each other's on your relationship and y'all got back together. But then you had a baby with another woman. And yes, that happened while you were with that other woman. But Lawrence, did no one did anyone tell you not to wear a condom? Mm-hmm. Did did you act like when she told you you had you were gonna be a father, you acted like she blew up your life because you helped create a child that neither of you had planned on having but here you are here you are he's so just, selfish he's very selfish and it's just like who uh i don't have to go we don't have the time to go into it but like i'm again i'm team team isa first team nathan second and team um and team isa forever and team lawrence never i had to save isa twice because i want y'all to understand it's i totally could see this season, this series ending with her choosing herself and choosing no man anywho moving on in i said insecure so let's go into loki like i said loki was actually one of my favorite things of this year because it made me a loki fan and i was not a loki fan like initially i liked i liked tom hiddleston's loki but loki really did give me the growth, character development, the time we needed to for, for me to like Loki and to see there's more to him than just him being, you know, a villain. And I just, I appreciated it a lot for many things. Um, the multiverse, Jonathan Majors, giving us Jonathan Majors as he who remains and Jonathan Majors being fine in everything he does. Yes, he was giving very much Shakespeare. He was like, he was like, so I'm, he's like, this is my audition reel for a Shakespeare adaptation, somebody, because that's what he was giving. He was giving Shakespeare. He was giving manic. He was giving tired. He was giving heartbroken all in one character. People, humans, and their folly. Yeah, I'm just, oh my God, I can't wait to see him. I'm just really more excited to see him as Kang. Maybe that's why I feel revitalized in Marvel right now, because we're getting Jonathan Majors. I am Again. not going to get my hopes up until I actually see because I'm like, they better do this black man right. I think they'll do him right. But like the whole blue skin thing, I'm hoping we get it. Like it's not it's not him, they a black man being hidden. Blue, blue. Like, they don't have to. It could just be the helmet. It could exactly. just be the it could just be the helmet. But you like it's one of the skin blue. Yeah, it's one of them things where I'm like, well, the character was originally blue, so I'm not going to be upset if he is blue. But I would like it if you let me still see his face and that beautiful skin of his because mm -hmm. my god can we have the regimen next castlevania specifically because it gave me the moment with isaac the moments with isaac that i've always wanted and the growth that we've seen isaac had over the last seasons up to this last season that came out earlier this year and it's the and it's the favorite line that i keep that is now my mental health mantra i have agency in this world and that is what I love. I love it. But like, also like there's other great moments in Castlevania and it was just like really, really good show um, series. And it was nice to see it come full circle in its last season this year. Next. So I did one, two, three, four. Okay. Fourth one. I'm just going to loop them together and say K-dramas in order. Squid Game, Sweet Home, and Hellbound. I won't dive into each of them, but I would just say those were some of my favorite ones and I could just I couldn't pick just one of them so I liked all of them Squid Game I've watched three times now to see if I missed anything 
it's just really good. honestly it's a good show to just watch but then I, it's also like again it's one that, like you were talking about the shows earlier I like it that it's a show that makes me think mm. and you know I could watch it a year from now and I could really still be shocked at some of the things that happen um last one I'm gonna say one piece the manga the anime it's been giving me everything I've needed <laughs> and I'm still a one piece fan as I say this in my hoodie <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't realize that when I wrote it down. But yes, One Piece. Honorable mentions real quick. I've gotten into a lot of these th- CG, 3D, I don't know what to call them, 3D CGI, Chinese folklore um, feature films that have been coming on Netflix. I know they're like released in China first. Oh, you mean the fantasy epics? Yes, the fantasy epics, epics yes. Um, so there was The White Snake 2, which mm-hmm. is like it's the shorter one it's like the it's the tribulation of the green snake there was new gods neza um reborn which i i really enjoyed the first neza film and then i've like this has also introduced like a bunch of other um fantasy epics from china that like have popped up so like i've been enjoying them white snake the first one apparently was a live action and then yeah. you have like the the tribulation of the green snake is the sequel to that but Which I'm going to go back. That, that, that one is animated. Yeah. But apparently, from what I'm understanding, the Nesha New Gods and the Tribulation of the Green Snake, these are supposed to be happening like under the same studio. And there, there's more of these fantasy epics films that are coming like from the same studio. I, I'm assuming I, I'm fine with them not being connected at all. I like did some research and some people are saying like, oh, I wonder if they'll be connected. I'm like, I kind of hope they don't. Well, they, they, they kind of would be connected if they're in the same mythology because that's how um a lot of the fantasy epics um they kind of operate um because they all come from the same myth like they're all based in chinese mythology and right. a lot of them do have like similar stories that are interconnected so generally when they do adaptations for them they're generally loosely related like you might get a reference of a character from another story mentioned, right or like you'll hear like oh this person like like this person was in this city that is mentioned, um, you know, mm-hmm. they not, all generally take a place around the same time period as well. Right. And so far from what I've seen, they take place in different dynasties or different time periods. But what would be interesting, and I say like, I kind of hope they don't, it's just like for the first ones where they are introduced, I like how they like exist on their own. Mm-hmm. And then like, okay, yeah, if they do this thing where they take, where they've been transported or reincarnated in the present place, present place, I haven't seen that yet. I'm interested to see how that will go down. But it's, I've really been enjoying them. Like, they're really good. I watch them subbed and dubbed. Um, I think more people should check them out because if Mm. you enjoy anime or if you, I think for people like anime fans like myself, um, if you have not checked out Chinese um, fantasy epics, you will be surprised at how much you would enjoy these. So they're just, I mean, I've watched them in the past, but they've mostly been live actions. Like, you know, the films that most people might be familiar with. And then- this one, I, these few ones, like the 3D CGI animated ones, I, th- I found them to be very good. Like, They're very I, good. I, and for Nessa Reborn, there's actually two versions. And both mm-hmm. versions are animated. So there's the 3D animated version. And then there's another animated version where the, the animation style is similar, more similar to like Avatar, the, um, the Avatar series. Mm-hmm. So it's more like 2D um, animation and more 2D rendering. Whereas, so like there's two Nessa stories and both are Netflix. So mm-hmm. like, um, but yeah. one I think is when Nesha is the one that's more 2D, similar, more of the animation style, more similar to Avatar. 
is um that's when Nassai is younger yeah and they're not so the one when he's younger they're done by different studios and apparently they were being made at the same time yeah but yeah I mean but I will say watch the first Nesha to give you the origin story even if mm -hmm. you of how he you, became that way yeah of how it became that way because it does like even though they're not connect like the films are not connected to each other so they're not it's Nezha Reborn is not a sequel to it but mm -hmm. conveniently it feels like a sequel to it if you've watched it the does. first Nessa film so yeah. it's nice I like because I, we we did the first we did um Nessa Reborn for Saturday Night Sci-Fi we did that mm -hmm. um live tweet I think possibly in August I think somewhere around August is when we did the live tweet for that and that was pretty good it was um very entertaining very fun um and so for me my mm -hmm. favorite what are yours for, my favorite things for 2015 um so i'm gonna mention three k dramas 2021 so, you said what, what is, how you said did i go back six you about years? to you about to take us back six years and i'm going to be 24 again and out of college i don't even know why i'm thinking 2015 like that makes no sense um okay so for me the so i'm gonna mention these ones kind of like bottled so like a specific themes about them so like for mine I love the art in mine. So like art, the way actual art is a concept and a theme in that drama. And I love the art pieces, like the art and the set design of the costume design mm -hmm. um, is, are so good. I just love how this drama uses art to tell a story and tells us different things about the characters because each of the characters, if you go into the, 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 for the set design in their rooms and like their offices is very specific to each character. And like each painting each mural each sculpture each um even like some of them are mirrors but the way how the mirrors are actual art pieces but they tell so much about the about the characters i just love the art design and the set design and costuming in mine like mm -hmm. the the production team did a fantastic job and kim suyan shout out to her she's amazing she's one of my favorite actresses and then there's beyond evil um the tension between um Dong sik played by Shane Hakyun and Han Juwon played by Yo Jin Gu. The tension between these two characters is ridiculous. Like, oh my gosh, like the acting is phenomenal, but the tension between them, like this, this is a, 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 a drama. It's about, it's a, not police procedure, but it's a thriller. It's about a serial killer. And like these two characters are, they're both cops, but they all both have their own agendas. And the way how the plot, plot unravels and like all of the different little Easter eggs and plot developments and the little ways that something that happened in episode one is brought back into episode 16. And then, you know, like how all these, like the, I think the writers did a fan and the director did a fantastic job of tying all of these little things together. But the acting, the tension between them is so good. It's phenomenal. And then there's Yumi's style, which is an um, adaptation of a webtoon um yes i love this this drama is good it's really good there are some things like the characters are frustrating like the mm -hmm. main lead um google um he's so oh my god he's so frustrating i'm just like my man just open your mouth speak and let tell the woman don't let her misunderstand things because you refuse to communicate properly that you're a grown mm -hmm. man talk use your words but my favorite thing about yumi cells are the cells like the, the, the one of the most unique things about yumi cells is is this within the real world and then is this in this animated world so the animated world is the cells like oh like you have like the the emotion cell and then there's the love cell there's hunger cell there's fear you know fashion um 
I, I keep calling it financial, but it's not that's the name, but that's the, the cell that's in charge, you know, making financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like if to give a, a, a close comparison would be um, what was that film with Will Smith where, you know, you had the cells in the brain and body? Um, oh, wait, was it Will Smith or Eddie Murphy? Because I was, do remember there was a film where Eddie Murphy had a bunch of tiny Eddie Murphys inside of his body. No, no, no. It's Will Smith where like um, something Johnson where. Like, and like, Will Smith voiced one of the cells in the body and then like the real person was played by this white guy. Oh my gosh. Um, but like he got sick and like you got like, you saw like all the white cells, white blood cells um, form together to fight against bacteria. But there's that. But then there's also a Japanese anime called Cells at Work. So oh, yes. So Yumi Cells animated version is kind of like Cells at Work where you see all the different cells. But I love the cells because each of them have their own personality. So like mm-hmm. you have fear cell and fear cell is always fearful. And then there's the anxiety cell who's always anxious. But then each of them, even though they have their main dominant personality, they all still ex- exist within experiencing like anger, sadness, fear. Like all of them have these same reactions. And I just mm-hmm. love the animation, the voice work by the voice cast, I think was really, really good. And I, I, I am in love with hunger cell. <laughs> hunger and um, detective cell are my favorites. And um they're so funny so that's one of my so those are three of my favorite things from k-dramas and then there's evangelion so there's there's three films there's you know neon genesis evangelion Mm -hmm. there's a series the anime series and then there's these three films and the third film i haven't seen the first two but i need to but the third film i love the ending because i love how the director who is who's he just like this world is fantastic like it's like but it's also filled with so much angst and Mm -hmm. pain and destruction and just like sadness like these characters have been through hell and back 50 different ways but at the end of the day literally at the end spoiler at the end of the last film he takes you out of the animated world and the way he does it is so beautiful where you you go from this hyper realistic animation stuff and he Mm -hmm. takes it back to the line drawing just like to the original bare bones concept of animation and then from all of that, you get, you, you're transported back to where world he's just like, this is a fictional world. Do not get invested in these characters. Like, I love that you love these characters. I love that you love this world that I created. But go send and touch grass. Go and take a walk <laughs> on the beach. Yes. This is legit what he's saying at the end. And I just love that he's so bold enough to, to just like, even with his own work, he's just saying, do not get invested in this world. Don't be bogged down by this fantasy. Go outside, touch grass. Go outside, smell the rose. Enjoy like enjoy the sunlight on your skin experience the world the real world and I just love that he did that and I'm just like that's such a brilliant way to end such I think iconic um series because Evangeline and Neon Justice is one of the most iconic animation um, series ever and like they have one of the most iconic theme songs as well like I love the theme song for um, Neon Genesis it is a bop it is a bop I play, I play reggae and I'm just like bouncing around my house. I just love it. People I will love just it. start dance. Like it's the way if you start it and people, it's like the Yu Yu Hakusho opening yeah. where it's like that, it's on that level of like, it is ingrained in our brains. As mm-hmm. soon as we hear it, we like, wait. Can't help it. You got to finish it. No, I'm kidding. Oh, but no. And I mean, the thing is about that is like the words are depressing, of course, but the theme, the melody is about um but yeah. I just love that he ended it like that I'm like that is such an iconic way to take on an iconic series and then the other thing was called by Bebop I, I'm so happy that I actually 
finally watched the entire Cowboy Bebop animated series. I had started watching it a while, like a few years ago. I saw like maybe two episodes, but I never mm-hmm. went back. But I, for the like before the live action show on Netflix, I went back and I watched the original series. So I'm so happy that I did that because these characters are so com- complex. I don't like how it ended though. In my head canon, you know, he's not like, he's not dead. He did not die. He just passed out. He was found and he's been um, Ed and Ayn and everyone on the ship and they're happy exploring the, the galaxy. That's my head canon. When we can hope. You, you can totally choose to believe that. That's what I choose to believe. That is fine. I refuse to believe that Spike died. It's the way when I first watched it and that was years and years ago and it wasn't until the third time that I rewatched it and I was like, oh, he died. Mm-hmm. I was upset. I was legit upset. I was just like, what? It went over my young brain and then it wasn't until like... I don't know. Cowboy Bebop is one of the most rewatchable series ever, especially for the in, for especially for the way that it ends. It is so easy to just go back and rewatch it, and that's why he lives on. And he's, he's not dead. He's not dead. He is Spike is alive, but it's also one of the reasons I think it's also rewatchable. And why I'm glad I watched it is because the writers are they did such a good job getting so many like as I said, I love films and shows that make you think, and it touches on so many things again, like capitalism, even mm-hmm. racism um xenophobia and you know and because it is one one, i think one of the most racially diverse animated shows ever created like there are people from every ethnic group present in this show and like they show you how basically the world that we live in on earth what is as diverse is also universal because like you have like (laughs) for instance there's a planet that is basically mexico (laughs) well that's that's the beautiful thing about it is because in Watanabe's like depiction of sci-fi of like what it looks like in Cowboy Bebop is that technically you have like yes there's a planet that's basically like you know Mexico or there's like new Tijuana or like there's Mm -hmm. other places that has influences from cultures and races that have like the ones that have like they migrated to a planet and that is where that culture like expanded and it like basically like okay new Tijuana but then it's like it's the way that when you think about it Spike was born on Mars Mm-hmm. We don't know if Spike's are uh, um, ethnic, 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 eh, ethnic, say it. I don't he's know Martian. why I can't. He's Martian. You don't know what Spike's race is. He's, a lot of people will say like he's coded as Japanese um, because, you know, he was inspired by Bruce Lee and yeah. like, or like a, just Asian Chinese. in general. Chinese. Yeah. yeah, my bad. But like some people will say like, oh, he's coded as Japanese or he's coded as Chinese or he's coded as Asian. I just yeah. as Asian, but I didn't spe- take him as specifically a specific I think it's just because some people assume it because um, they know that some his fighting style was inspired by Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so there's that whole thing. But it's like, technically, when you get to the point with Spike, he was born on Mars. He's Martian because at this point, races have like intermingled and populated and gone all over the place that truly they're like, yes, a character can look like they are from Black descent and they're Black, like, you know, there's mm-hmm. Jet, which we all understand that Jet is black. Jet then is you black. Have, He's not and, ambiguous at all. At all. He is black. And then you have other characters who are brown, who have dark brown skin, who have like the, you know, ooh, the woman, the bounty hunter with the big afro, love her. Yeah. Um, you like you have characters who are blatantly clearly black. And it's just yeah. like the creator does like probably by Foxy Brown, probably, mm-hmm. probably. She is. And it's just like the creator's way of just like there was never any limitations in putting people of color like and making a diverse series because Mm -hmm. 
it makes sense that all these races and cultures would exist in the universe. It's a big yeah. place. It's like, it's not happening just in one country. And then he like, what I like to believe is Cowboy Bebop takes place far off in the future, right? But then there's mm-hmm. Carolyn Tuesday, I, which we know takes place earlier on. Yeah. I like to believe that Carolyn Tuesday predates Cowboy Bebop. Oh, that they're in the same universe. They're in the same universe because there's mentions of like different spa- of space travel. You know, there was the whole situation with Faye in the gate. And there was that incident that happened. So I'm pretty sure that Carolyn Tuesday, they mentioned some of that because like, you know, there's talks of like, yeah, we're on Mars. And like, I'm from Earth originally. And you know, like the whole situation with Earth and Cowboy Bebop was people are trying to leave Earth because it was dying. Or like, it was like, basically all the rich people left Earth and all the poor people, which they called the refugees were there. You know. And you see the beginning of that conflict in Carolyn Tuesday. That's Sorry. making me think of, um, that's very similar to Expanse. And I would love to talk to James and say, Corey, about that. About if I can see Cowboy Bebop being an inspiration for the world of the Expanse, because the Expanse is the same way. You have people who left Earth and they um, colonized and terraformed um, Mars. And like race in the Expanse doesn't function as race as we know it like we know these characters are black you know there are characters who are asian southeast asian east asian um you know there are characters who are caucasian there are characters that who are of tibetan and an african ancestry and like it is mentioned like specific characters are from africa like from east um, east africa from ghana nigeria and like they're mentioned but the thing mm-hmm. is, is like with a lot of these characters like once they leave earth once they leave earth and they go into like other like because there's uh, Mars, but then there's also um like places like Ganymede Station, which is an asteroid, and like there's asteroids that are inhabited by humans. Like once they leave Earth's orbit, they kind of stop functioning as races, as being black or whatever. Like they become whatever planet they they inhabit. So like you have the Martians. Mm-hmm. Race doesn't matter on Mars. On on Mars, what okay. matters is that you're Martian and not Earth and not an Earther. If you're mm-hmm. in the belt, which is a belt of asteroids, once you are there, you're no longer black. What you are, you are a belter. That's your identity. Like, you know, and I, and I love that whole concept of like, where once you leave Earth's constraints of the idea of racism and ethnicity and all these things that you become something else. But then like later in the book, that is explored for like, like thinking like Cowboy Bebop, where because of things like colonization, how does that impact the footprint of humanity and like mm-hmm. what kind of like um because the problem with humanity we are stubborn we, we keep repeating the same mistakes like what kind of identity is formed like when you go on to another distant planet like are you going to take the same social issues that you had on earth and bring them to these new colonized worlds so like cowboy bebop does explore that that's why i'm glad that I, I watched it because i'm just you know what deep animation animation that's deep thematically and also mm-hmm. beautifully shot like the animation style in cowboy bebop i think is beautiful the music iconic um because like, they use like different styles of music especially a lot of black forms of music mm-hmm. and then the other thing my i'll make uh, this is because like, we're gonna wrap up now but my other my last favorite thing of 2021 i watched the witcher and i haven't seen the last episode of the of wheel of time because we're releasing it weekly but up to now i've seen episode um eight the first eight episodes of the wheel of time and my favorite thing from the witcher like i love this series i think it's better than season one but one of my favorite things about The Witcher is we got to see Geralt in daddy mode. I love mm-hmm. to see him and Siri together. I just love he's like, she is my daughter. Like, he wore her by love surprise. Yes, 
but she's his daughter. He claimed her as his. He's like, she may not be of my blood, but she is mine. And I just love that scene. Like, you know, the guy, he's like, is she yours? He's like, she's mine. He's like, is she yours? Like the guy just, he's like, I think he was trying to get Geralt to say like, yes, she's my daughter. He's like, she's mm-hmm. mine. And he said that as he's looking at Yennefer, like, do not doubt that this child is my child. And I just love that. I just love seeing him in daddy mode and being all like, you know, he is a natural protector. But I just love seeing him protective over Siri. Yes. And then for the Wheel of Time, I am like, I am a stan of Nynaeve and Lan. Like, I am here for them. I am fully a Lan and Nynaeve stan. Like, is Daniel Henney and the actress's name is Zoe Robbins. The two of them together are amazing. I love their chemistry. And I'm just like, I, from the first moment he looked at her, I'm like, I ship you. I ship you guys so hard. And I am here for the I'm here for the fantasy dramas. I am here for Papa Geralt, as I'm calling him. And I'm here for I'm not sure if there's a shipper name for Nynaeve and Lan. I'm gonna call them Lani. The show has its problems, like particularly the characters of Rand and Matt. Nanine does get on my nerves a bit. I'm just like, girl, Morena has tell you we are in for some troubling times ahead. Buckle up and, sh- and get, get in shape. She's still being very doubtful and it's like irking me. I'm just like, Nanine, girl, just like you have seen, you have seen these, these the fade and all these things, the Trollocs and everything's coming like, girl, this is not time to be having a hauling and doubting. Just like get in shape and, and get to work. But right. apart from that, I am loving them together. So those are, that's the end of my favorite things of 2021 list. Um, there's many, thing, many, many more things that you and I could add to our list, but I think we've gone on for quite a while with this podcast. Yes. So forgive us, everyone. But, you know, 2021 has been a year. And I think it's pretty okay to go over our usual 45 minutes an hour for like an end of year podcast special. Um, yeah. This has been amazing. This 2021 has had a lot of downs, but like, like Nanisha and I, we've had amazing ups, um, like covering South by Southwest covering mm-hmm. tiff covering um send us from festival we've had an amazing year um as a podcast i think you've done amazing this is our 2018 2019 2020 this is our fourth year as a podcast and we thank everyone for being uh for listening to us whether you're new or an old listener like thank you so much for sticking with us and for just following us and i hope 2022 <laughs> has more ups than it does downs and thank you, Nisha, for being my co-host and my friend. You've been there for me. And this is like, the doing this podcast has been a lot of the highlights of my year. Like, I've had a very trying year. I've had a very tough year medically and personally. And like, being doing the podcast has helped me to take my mind off stuff. So like, thank you so much for, for being with me and talking with me about film and TVs and books and manga. Oh, thank you. And I would like to say thank you for also being there for me through this hellish year. <laughs> Well, hell is last two years, but we've, you're right. We have done a lot of great things since we started our podcast. And I'm just like, you know, growth. I love to see it for us. I love to see us thrive. I love that how far we have come in the last, since starting this podcast, but also during a pandemic, during an ongoing pandemic, Carolyn and I are thriving and I'm just very proud of us. And thank you for being an awesome co-host with this show. And with that, let's just, I am manifesting even more better and greater things to come in 2022. Oh, but also I'll have, hopefully I will be able to share some great news with y'all soon in 2022, which I will stop talking now. But that's it. <laughs> uh, with that, 
Oh my gosh. Y'all make sure y'all engage with us on Twitter, on Instagram, because we do have an Instagram now. Um, so yes, follow us over there and you better posting on the Instagram account. I'll be honest. I mean, I need to do better on the Twitter. But at the same time, y'all know how to engage with us, tag us both, and we will talk to y'all about film, TV, movie, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But wishing y'all happy holidays, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, and you know, just everyone stay safe, have fun. Watch some TV, stay inside, or wear your mask if you go outside. But yeah, with that, you can find us on So Here's What Happened, which if y'all want to follow us on Instagram or on Twitter, that is at SHWH underscore pod. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nisha Plays. That's N-E-Y-S-H-A-P-L-A-Y-S. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Carrie Sanish. That's C A R R I E Sanish. One, two. You can follow my hashtag dramas with Carrie, where I like tweet dramas weekly, um, 8 p.m. Eastern. Follow the hashtag Saturday Night Cypher, where I am my co host week. We do a, um, a weekly live tweet event for films and TV shows of the sci fi genre using a hashtag Saturday, um, Saturday Night Cypher every Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can find both mine and Nisha's works in our pinned tweets as well as on butwhythepodcast.com. You can find So Here's What Happened um, in podcast. Well, of course, it's podcast format um, on butwhythepodcast.com as well as um, other streaming platforms available to Acast as well as on Spotify. Um, you can find my other podcast, Karen Talks on butwhythepodcast.com as well as Beyond the Romance, my, my Asian drama podcast chat on butwhythepodcast.com as well as well as the youtube version on my youtube channel under my name karen heinz um h-i-n-d-s and um i think that is it so this is going to be our last podcast for 2021 thank you everyone for an amazing um run hopefully we'll see you in 2022 with some fun um announcements and new possibly segments as well and new specials for so here's what happened oh i should say something that we didn't mention one of the other favorite things that i'm glad that we did in 2020 2021 was speaking to stephanie and vita about yes. the um the amazon the new amazon comic series um in dc comics like that was amazing again to talk to them we're gonna we're working on something else for the end of the run of the comics so it's this comics mm-hmm. and i think only up to now um four issues have been done but we're looking to do something special for the sixth issue as well so yeah just needed to get that in support um stephanie and vita and the other creatives that work on the amazon um comic series you can buy comics uh, from your local comic book store support your small business owners and if you can't order from a recognized um comic book and book distributor and with that i will sign sign off and everyone have a safe new year holiday and a Entry into 2022. Bye. Bye.